Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Mimiverse Monthly Audiocast. I am your host, writer-director Christopher R. Mim, and I just want to know, are you there? Are you listening? Are you really? If you've been listening to the Audiocast since the beginning, or even just the last couple, you know that for the first 20 to 35 minutes, I often just talk about things. Sometimes they're poignant. Sometimes they're rambling. Well, today I'm just going to catch you up on what's going on in the Mimiverse. As of the recording of this, in a few days' time, we shall begin principal photography of the next Mimiverse film, Where's Keto Nazi Hunter? I'm extremely excited by this. As many of you who've listened to this know, I took a little bit of a break so that I could spend some time working on the script for The Monster Phantom Lake the Musical, which is now a thing. I want to thank you if you contributed to that, uh, to make that a reality. We did hit all of our stretchiest goals, so everything we wanted to do, we will be able to do with that musical. There's not much more to say about that right now, simply because all the behind-the-scenes stuff is happening, and we'll talk more about that as things progress. I took some time off to get the musical going, and now that it is, I was able to finally turn my attentions toward the next movie, Where's Keto Nazi Hunter? And I'm crazy excited that finally, six months later than I normally would have, production is happening. Shooting starts in a couple days. And I'm crazy excited because, honestly, I was a little worried. You know, for ten years straight, I've been sort of on this constant treadmill of making movies. I have been, as many of you who have followed my movie-making career should know, I've been making a movie a year, and I've sort of followed the same production schedule, and now everything is all kind of different. It has changed a little. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with that. Change is sometimes good. And over the years, changes have happened. And sometimes they're good, sometimes they're bad, sometimes they feel awful but turn out to be blessings in disguise. And the truth is, is that you can't fight change. Things change. People change. What's cool changes. What's not cool changes. Sometimes what's not cool becomes cool. Sometimes what's cool quickly becomes not cool. 80s fashions, for instance headbands. Those, are, those aren't cool anymore, but at one point they really were. Change is inevitable, and if you don't embrace it, you will stagnate. Which might sound kind of funny coming from me as a guy who has made 10, almost 11, some would say 11 if you count the late night double feature as two films, 11, 12, I don't know, whatever you count these films as who's made so many movies in a very particular style to say that change is inevitable when I haven't changed that much. However, I think you can change and evolve, which is something I strive to do. You can do those things without becoming a new species. You can evolve. And that's what I feel like my movies have done. If you look at the Monster Phantom Lake and see, it's 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 a good thing to bring up the Monster Phantom Lake now because here we are in 2016 and in just a just over a month, about honestly about six weeks, we will hit the ten year anniversary of the official release of the Monster Phantom Lake back in two thousand six. March ninth, two thousand six was the day we premiered the Monster Phantom Lake. So March ninth, twenty sixteen, ten years. 
that's kind of amazing if you look at it and realize how far the Mimiverse has evolved over time, but again, has not become a new species. For instance, I'm still making movies in black and white, and I'm okay with that. Someone recently asked if I was going to make a color film at some point. You know what, I might, but it's not that important to me if I don't. I really like black and white. I think black and white is beautiful. And so few people really know how to use it. And so few people even understand that in this day and age that you can't just take a movie and shoot it in color and then kick it to black and white and be like, oh, there, that looks good. No, things have to be done in a certain way. You have to tweak things to look good in black and white. Even if you film it in color and then take out all the color and desaturate it to become black and white, you still have to do a lot to make it look like good black and white. You shoot things differently for color. So I see a lot of these other filmmakers who try to make black and white movies but don't take into account the challenges that come with actually putting something out in black and white. There's one thing I think that you could say the Mimiverse has evolved over time. If you look at the monster of Phantom Lake, it's kind of washed out. It's There are a lot of things in it that were just shot poorly because at the time I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And I admit that freely. That was a very big experiment. It was a huge learning experience and I'm glad I had it. But over the years, I feel like I have improved the look and feel of my films. If you were to compare the monster Phantom Lake and something like The Giant Spider or Danny Johnson Saves the World, they don't necessarily look like they were made by the same guy. The look and feel of the movies has improved. It has evolved. So perhaps the word of the day, and maybe I'll just start doing this as the audio cast is evolving with every episode, I'm going to come up with a word of the day, as if we were Sesame Street. The word of the day is evolve. So whenever you hear it, you have to scream. Wait, that was Pee-wee's Playhouse. Uh, still, it's a good idea. I'm going to steal it. The Mimiverse is evolving. I'm going to start asking for some new help from some new people. And I want to open the doors for some new contributors. Simply because if you don't evolve, you stagnate and you die. Which sounds really heavy. I don't mean it that way. Still, that's my thought. Time to evolve. And with Where's Keto Nazi Hunter, I am doing that because I am staying very much within my wheelhouse, my species, but I am trying some new stuff. And with this in particular, I'm going dark. I've mentioned this in several episodes. The script is very dark. There is a darkness surrounding this film that I haven't done before. And I'm really excited to push that envelope a little. That's one of the things I want to do to evolve this year. I want to try using some new people. Of course, we're doing this, you know, musical theater adaptation. That's, that's an evolution of where the Mimiverse began and where it is now. March 9th, as I mentioned, is the 10-year anniversary of the Monster Phantom Lake. And should everything come together, we're coming down to the wire here, but should everything come together, we will be releasing a 3D conversion of the Monster of Phantom Lake, the original film. And ideally, if we can get it all worked out in time, we want to do a little viewing party of that for March 9th. Uh, if you're in the Twin Cities area, please contact us and let us know you're interested. If we get enough people, maybe we'll we'll find a theater. Otherwise, maybe we'll just find a little ballroom and watch it. Have a little party. If you want to attend the viewing party, let me know so we, we get an accurate idea of how big of a venue we need. 
and then we can sell some tickets. So we have that coming up. Of course, Wearskeetos in production now. Lots of fun things going on. But here's the other thing. I've decided that it's time to start doing some new fun stuff. One is that I want to move forward a little by moving backward a touch. I realized recently that we used to spend a lot more time setting up screenings and events than we do now. Very early on, we used to show the monster of Phantom Lake, a camp from the world, cave women on Mars. We'd show them everywhere we could. And somewhere along the line, a lot of that stopped. We started pushing more for convention appearances and stuff like that, but not actual screenings of the films. And I want to get back to that a little, because they're always fun, you know, to get people together to, to watch movies, and, and then you can talk afterwards and, you know, hang out. But to evolve that, I've decided that I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. I want to not just do a screening where we sit down and watch a movie. I've come up with this idea for a touring show, so to speak, whereupon I would go to different theaters wherever they'll have me, and we will show one or two of the movies based on how much time we're given and do them as audience participation screenings, wherein we supply you, the person who's going to this movie, with a box full of goodies, fun things, trinkets, stuff you can maybe throw. Say, for instance, take House of Ghosts. If you haven't seen House of Ghosts, I'm going to spoil something for you, so if you haven't seen it, close your ears. In House of Ghosts, James Norgard plays a character who is attacked by a lot of spiders. One of the things that would be in your participation box when you come to this screening of House of Ghosts would be some plastic spiders. When that scene happens, you would have an on-screen prompt to throw those spiders at the people around you. That's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Or, say, take the giant spider. Every time you see that goofy spider puppet growling at someone on screen, there'd be a prompt on screen to scream. And then we would see how loud we can get everyone to scream. It would be fun. Basically, you ramp up the gimmicks, a la William Castle, and make it not just going out to a movie, but an experience wherein we all get together, watch a movie, have fun, make fun of it, whatever. Just have a good time. So that's one of the things I'm putting together. And actually, I've got a couple theaters that have bitten. Right now, they're all in California. So at some point, I, I will be visiting the West Coast to present some of my films as audience participation screenings. So that'll be fun. Be on the lookout for that. I'll let you know as soon as I know and have the details, you will know. That's really kind of what's going on in the Mimiverse. I have a million ideas for a million other things. I need to figure out a way to uh, fund all of this. I'm, I'm open to suggestions <laughs> at this point, and I have so many things I want to unleash upon you and the world. Right now, you know, paying the mortgage is, is the thing that's holding me back. The day job still sucks up a lot of my time and holds me back from being able to do everything it is I want to do. And I have a lot of cool ideas I want to share. So if anyone out there knows how to, you know, get some grants or something, let me know. <laughs> Otherwise, we'll just keep going forward and see what happens. I appreciate you listening.
I appreciate you letting me into your lives for this period of time that you're listening to this and for the time you may spend watching my films or perhaps discussing them online or whatever it is you do. Just thanks. Seriously. It means a lot. I really, really, really love doing this. There are challenging times when the motivation isn't there. And there are times when people challenge me the most. But I absolutely love this more than anything else I've ever done in my life. And sometimes I worry that it's trivial, but you know what? I know that my films entertain people, and honestly, that's enough. Selfishly, that's enough. And so I want to keep doing it, because I love it. And I just want to say thank you guys for sticking with me. Thank you for whatever time and effort you have put into this. Maybe I'm a little crazy for continuing to believe, but I do believe. And I know that the Mimiverse is forever. Okay, so, before we throw it off to Dr. Bob, and then we go to the 12th chapter of the Canoe Cops versus the Mummy Serial, written by Stephen D. Sullivan, uh, I just want to remind you of a few things. First off, February 19th through the 21st, I will be at Galaxy Fest in Colorado Springs, Colorado. I'm a guest there. We'll be showing some movies. We'll be having fun. Please come on down and say hello if you're in the area. I would love to speak with all of you. Let's hang out. You know, what the heck? March 4th through the 6th, I will be a guest at MarsCon in the Twin Cities area. Please come on down, and we'll be uh, showing some movies. April 16th, the Mimathon in Columbus, Ohio, with Midnight Monster Movies with Dr. Bob. We're going to show all the movies of the Mimiverse, plus Justin Overlander's The Bequeather and other cool, fun stuff. You should absolutely come if you're close by. If you go to the the website, sainteuphoria.com, and go under the Events tab at the top, all these things are listed. But in the entry for the Mimathon, there are links there to buy advanced tickets. Uh, there's going to be cool stuff. You should go. Uh, a lot of us are going to be there. So if you've never met some of the uh, folks behind the Mimiverse but would like to, now's your chance. There's a lot of stuff coming up. You should come check it out. Also, like I said, I'm, I'm working on getting some of these screenings across the country. If, and this is important, if there is a theater, an independent one preferably, because they are more open to these things, if you have a local independent theater that you like to go to, that shows cool stuff and out-of-the-norm stuff. Or, if you have a local theater that does a classic movie screening event, much like in Forest Lake, Minnesota, which gave me the key to the city of Forest Lake, the Edward Grimm's Thursday Night Frights, or the Oshkosh, Wisconsin, Friday Fright Night. It's a screening series. Often, a lot of them are free, where they show cheesy old B-movies in a, usually a small theater somewhere. If there's something like that near where you live, please go online to sainteuphoria.com and contact me and let me know they exist. I would love to come to your town. I would love to play some of my films in these screening series. The problem is, is they're often hard to find. They don't always have great web presence. And Word of mouth is the one thing that seems to help the Mimiverse the most. Honestly, the Mimiverse would not exist without word of mouth. So, if there's something like that that you go to or you know of, please contact me and tell me. And I'll do the rest of the work and I'll give you all the credit. 
mostly. <laughs> Find me online, SaintEuphoria.com. If you can't remember SaintEuphoria.com, TheGiantSpider.com will also get you to the website. TheGiantSpider.com. Go into the contact link and send me a message, or just send me an email at Chris at SaintEuphoria.com. Let me know these places exist. Let me know these screening series exist. Because I have been searching for them. I know there's a lot of them out there. Because there's like two of them just near me. And I don't live in that big of a city. These things exist. I know they do. They're just hard to find. If you're near one, please let me know. I want to come hang out with you. I want to come show a movie. Let's, let's do stuff. Let's have fun. Plus, give me an excuse to visit new places. Spread the, as Derek Cook of Monster Kid Radio calls it, the mimfection, <laughs> which is kind of a terrible word, but awesome at the same time. Speaking of Monster Kid Radio, Monster Kid Radio is a great podcast hosted by Derek Cook. Some of the early episodes, Derek did a few inserts for our audio cast, and he's promised to do more in the future. I was recently a guest on Monster Kid Radio with Derek Cook, where we sat down and we talked about the Mimiverse a little bit, but mostly I was there to talk about how cool John Agar is. If you don't know who John Agar is, you need to watch some old movies. He uh, appeared in quite a few really great monster movies, science fiction films of the 50s and 60s. If you're not listening to Monster Kid Radio, you should be. All right. So that's that's what's going on in the Moomiverse. Before I go, I want to implore you again to contribute to We're Skeeto Nazi Hunter. Uh, we are in full production now, so your contributions are more important than they ever were up to this point. Please visit us at wereskeeto.com, W-E-R-E-S-Q-U-I-T-O.com, and contribute if you can. We really appreciate those who contribute. And don't forget, you'll get your name in the credits, and you'll get other cool stuff that other people won't. It's an exclusive club that you should want to belong to. Alrighty then, Dr. Bob, take it away. <laughs> it is I, Dr. Bob Tesla, with your Mimiverse Joke of the Month. Since it is February, I decided to do something about husband and wives. I obviously do not understand this love and a need to procreate like most of you seem to have to do. It seems so much messier than, than cloning, but here's your joke. A man's wife was in labor with their first child, and suddenly she began to shout, shouldn't, couldn't, wouldn't, didn't, can't. The man was very concerned, and so he's asking the nurse, what's wrong? And the nurse says, calm down, sir. She's just having contractions. Come out February 13th to the Gateway Film Center for Space Milkshake. Yes, it's a very weird name, but it's a great movie. It's got Billy Boyd from Lord of the Rings, Amanda Tapping from Stargate, Kristen Kruk from Smallville, and Robin Dunn from uh, Sanctuary. And it's got George Takei from Star Trek. Oh my, you don't get much better than that. And don't forget, tickets are on sale for the 24-hour Mimathon. Thank you, Dr. Bob. You're the best. We will see you at the Mimathon. We are all very excited. And now, what you all probably skipped ahead to, <laughs> 
Chapter 12 of the Canoe Cops vs. the Mummy, written by Stephen D. Sullivan. Check him out at stephendsullivan.com. This chapter is called Incident on the Road, a.k.a. All Points Bulletin. And it goes something like this. Lieutenant Agar rushes out the door as I pull up outside his house. He's climbing into the passenger seat even before I bring the squad car to a full stop. Let's go, Nicky, he says, his voice tense, urgent. I'm on it, Rich, I reply, cruising back out onto the street. Hang on to your hat. He hangs on. The Chevy's V8 roars like thunder and the tires howl as I push the throttle to the floor. We don't have a moment to waste. Buckle in and flip on the cherry top, will you, Rich? I say, concentrating on the road. The night is dark and a heavy fog is rolled in off of Phantom Lake. That's not unusual in our little town, but it does make answering urgent all-points bulletins, like this one, trickier. The emergency is clear across town from where Lieutenant Agar lives, but I couldn't take this call without dealing him in. He's a friend, after all, even if he's not a land-side cop, and the Anchor's boarding house is where his girl lives. Rich buckles up and then flicks on the lights and the siren, like I told him. Did the call say anything about Julie? Specifically, I mean... His voice is nervous, impatient. Dispatch said the report was pretty incoherent, I admit. The lady on the phone wasn't making much sense. Who made the call? K-something or other, some biblical name. Eve, no, Adams, I think. Even in the dim light leaking into the squad from the city street lamps, I can see Rich go pale. That's Julie's best friend, he says. Step on it. Already am, lover boy. Don't get your shorts in a knot. I'll get you to your girl's house as fast as humanly possible. And try not to fret. I already sent another car to the scene. They were patrolling nearby. They should arrive at the anchor's place any minute. God, I hope so, Rich whispers. We sit silently as the fog-shrouded streets race past the Chevy's windows. The mood is grim because what can either of us say? Either Julie Browning is involved in this incident or she's not. No platitude I might offer will change that. And Rich isn't the type of guy who likes to be mollycoddled anyway. The Anchor's Place sits on the northeast side of town, a short walk through the countryside past the business district. As we reach the outskirts, Rich nods approvingly. We're making good time. This is some boat you're driving, he says admiringly. Got some real horses under the hood, doesn't she? 159 with 250 cubic inches and a four-barrel car, I reply. She's the chief special. Chevy's magazine ads call her the hot one. He laughs despite his nerves, and I chuckle too. The prowl car I usually drive's not nearly this cherry, I note. Pity I have to give her back when the chief returns from vacation. I flash my pal a grin. Watch out for those cats, Rich blurts. Ahead of us, just at the edge of the squad's headlights, a line of felines is crossing across the road, single file, as if somebody recruited them for a parade. They come in all shapes, sizes, and colors, and they're pretty scruffy looking. I'm thinking they must be a feral pack. I lay on the horn, but the damn things just stop right there in the middle of the road and stare at my onrushing Chevy. Damn it! I hit the brakes. Hard. The bell air screeches to a halt, and only our safety belts keep us from going through the windshield. Guess it's a good thing the chief had that option installed. Annoyingly, the cats still don't get out of the road. In fact, now that we've stopped, they're prowling around the car, almost like they're surrounding us. Nicky, Rich says impatiently. I know, I know. I lean on the horn again and start to creep the Chevy forward. I yell at the cats between honks. You critters better get out of the way or you'll get flattened. Naturally, the felines can't understand me, but if I didn't know better, I'd swear they were deliberately trying to slow us down. 
As I do my best to get going again without squashing the whole pack, the squad's two-way radio squawks. I shoot Rich a quick glance, and he picks up the handset. Chief, I'm out at the anchor's place, says the crackling voice on the other end. It's Officer Selby, and he knows damn well I'm only the acting chief. Part of me wants to chew him out, but I realize my anger really stems from the cats, which are still impeding our progress, getting on my nerves. Nikki's driving, Rich says into the mic. What's the situation? Who is this? Selby asks. Lieutenant Agar, Rich replies, acting captain of the canoe cops. Oh, hey, Lieutenant. Cut the small talk, Selby, and spill, I shout loud enough for the handset to pick up. What's the deal out there? The place is a mess, Selby squawks. Looks like a tornado hit one side of the building, and there's a hole in the wall big enough for an elephant to walk through. Rich and I exchange a worried glance. Both of us are thinking about the big hole in the wall we saw two nights ago out at Banning's place, where Burl Shaw got murdered. I hit the gas. To hell with the cats. The Bel Air's tires screech and the Chevy shoots down the road into the fog. Happily, I don't feel any bumps under the tires, so those pesky felines must have cleared away. Was anybody hurt? Rich asks Selby, and I notice a sheen of nervous sweat beating on the canoe cop's face. I don't think so, Selby replies. Other than the girl that called, she's scared half to death. You mean Kay Adams, Rich says. Is she all right? Yeah, that's her. She's okay, I guess. She's not making a lot of sense, though. Keeps babbling on about some giant in bandages smashing through the wall, like something out of a universal horror movie. Rich and I exchange another glance because, believe it or not, before we got to the murder scene the other night, we both thought we caught a glimpse of a mummy, Rich asks. Is that what Kay claims she saw? Well, yeah, Selby says. I guess you could call it that. She says the thing carried away her friend, but I'm not sure whether... What? Both Rich and I exclaim simultaneously. What friend, I ask. Are you telling me that thing took Julie? Rich adds. Yeah, Julie Browning, Selby says, puzzled. This Adams girl says the monster snatched her up. I mean, none of it makes any sense to me, but how did you guys know? Never mind that, I insist, grabbing the handset away from Rich. Is the anchor scene secured? Yeah, I guess, Selby replies. Aside from the big hole in the wall and the stray cats wandering around the place. Cats again? What is it with the cats? No sign of no mummies or anything like that, if that's what you mean. Selby finishes. I glare at the road ahead, anger burning in my gut. Is this some kind of publicity stunt? I say through gritted teeth. I've got a nice cozy cell waiting for Mr. Corman. Rich shakes his head. I don't think it's a Hollywood stunt. He takes the handset back from me. Selby, which way did the mummy go? I can't rightly say, Selby replies. Like I mentioned, that Adams girl is scared half out of her wits. I could hardly get her to string two coherent words together. Okay, hang tight. We'll be there in a minute or two, I tell both Rich and Selby. Over and out. Rich hangs up the handset. I glance over at my canoe cop buddy and he looks all kinds of grim. Don't worry, I say. We'll track this thing down, whatever it is. Hit the brakes, Rich yells. I do, swinging my head back around to the road at the same time. I expect to discover more feral cats blocking the street, but what I see instead makes my blood run cold. A mummy, huge, maybe seven feet tall, standing right in the middle of the road, and in its arms lies Julie Browning. Julie's body is limp, her eyes closed. I can't tell whether she's unconscious or dead. The thing's carrying her like she weighs nothing. Julie! Rich shouts as the bellar screeches to a halt half a dozen feet away from the monster. The creature doesn't even flinch. Instead, it calmly sets Julie's body down on the road. As soon as the prowl car stops, both Rich and I grab the handles to open our doors. With my other hand, I reach for my holster. 
but the sudden appearance of the mummy has rattled us both, and neither one of us remembers to unbuckle our seatbelts. So, when we try to roll out of the car and spring into action, we just jerk to a stop, like a fish caught at the end of a line. I curse, realizing what's happened a few seconds before Rich does. I grope for my seatbelt and manage to yank it loose. As I do, though, the mummy grabs the front of the car and with a mighty heave, flips the whole thing right over. The Bel Air crashes onto its side and keeps rolling. The world spins as I smash into the car's roof, which is now the floor, and then the actual floor as it comes back around. And right about then, the entire world goes black. And Doc, that's the last thing I remember until waking up here in the hospital, just a few minutes ago. Dum, dum, dum. And that is it. That is the end of chapter 12. Up next, Sacrifice. This is when it gets really good. Not that it hasn't been good up till now, but this is when the fit hits the shan, as it were. Thank you very much for listening to the latest edition of the Mimiverse monthly audio cast. Thank you for being a fan and a supporter. Please visit us online at sainteuphoria.com. And of course, if you can't remember that or just don't know how to spell it, go to thegiantspider.com or mimiverse.com. But don't forget, that's even harder to spell. I thank you for listening, and I will talk to you again next month. In the meantime, remember, as I always say, be good. But if you can't do that, be good at it. Talk to you soon.